Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. And this is a very special episode. Uh, it's the second episode of the Scale Up Valley Asia uh, edition that we are putting together. Uh, and that's why my co-founder, Andrew Wong, uh, is with me today. Uh, Andrew, welcome back to, to the show and to, and to this season. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back and, and enjoying every single moment of being on the Scale Up Valley podcast. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. And uh, yeah, our first guest has been uh, Jason from Staff Any based in Singapore. And today's guest is also very special. Uh, her name is Nina, uh, the CEO of Zopa. Nina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike and Andrew. It's such a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for having me. It's, it's really a pleasure and we are looking forward to, to get to know uh, more about your view and especially as we have been celebrating uh, this week uh, the Women's International Day. It's also great that we are covering two uh, women CEOs uh, in the show in the region uh, very shortly. Uh, Tropi and Lenny's is also on, on the way. Uh, to be recorded the episodes um, but today it's all about Nina and about Zopa so uh, Nina we would love to get to know more about you so please feel free to present you to the community. Sure just a little background about me um, I'm the founder and CEO of Zopa um, my background uh, is uh, I'm an electronics engineer so I'm a bit of a geek at heart and uh, uh, I studied engineering, but never followed a technical role. It was always people that excited me, and uh, I was always, always very sales and entrepreneur driven. So having worked with ICL for a few years, uh, I then realized I, I needed to do something on my own. Uh, I think I was a bit of a rebel, so I wanted to create my own story rather than follow a story. So uh, I started my first venture in 1997 in a small town called Noida, just outside New Delhi in, in India. Um, it was a recruitment firm, search firm, and HR consulting, um, where we used a lot of tech and data to kind of help companies hire better, but a very brick and mortar company, expanded to five continents. Uh, till I realized that, that there are fantastic tools like data science and artificial intelligence, which can completely change the whole way we hire and the future of hiring. Uh, so it was in 2017, along with my co-founder, Dr. Yussi Keppo, who is the head of uh, data science at NUS in Singapore, uh, we started Zopa. And um, the main ethos uh, was around how do we remove bias from hiring so that you're hiring better, you're hiring smarter, uh, not just because it's the right thing to do, but it's the smart thing to do, right? Both for the employee and for the client. Absolutely. Uh, I love the, the vision and the mission. And of course, your, your background, your story, uh, it has been uh, some decades working on this uh, field and this field is becoming uh, critical for any uh, company and, and especially for the VC backers and the scale up ones uh, that really needs to attract the best talent uh, possible to be able to execute their visions. So um, let us know a little bit more about um, what is really what would be the, the long term vision of the company, what would be success for you with, with Zopa? Yeah, just, just to kind of step a little bit back on what we do at Zopa is <clears throat> we are trying to resolve uh, hiring and selections 
in an equitable fashion. Uh, and we like to ca capture the life cycle of the job seeker right from internship to graduate, to getting into work life and then and, and moving up the, the you know, the, during the work mm -hmm. life. So up to mid, mid to senior level. Um, and precisely like I mentioned, you know, um, Hiring, we have gone past equal opportunities. I think it's time for equitable opportunities. Uh, a lot of time in, in, in you know, one, one big problem I noticed in 20 years of recruitment was uh, you, when, when, you, when it is a very manual human driven recruitment process, uh, firstly, there is no, um, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no one standard uh, because what is good for me may not be good for you uh, or for Andrew. Right. Um, and we all have so much of subjectivity in the way we see what we want to see, we we hear what we want to hear in the interviews. So there's just bias at every level. And uh, recruiters typically tend to screen people out. You know, you 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 tend to kind of take a look at the resume and say, boom, 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 this is not there. Let's let's screen people out and start making a long list into a short list. And this is where the problem lies, right? So uh, with, with technology, firstly, scale is not a problem. You know, you're not dealing with, you, you can deal with 100,000 million applications at one time and still give it a very objective view. So that's the first thing, you know, that you are able to give an opportunity to a much larger base of folks people, which typically would get screened out. And the second, of course, is screening out, you know, giving opportunity to the ones that are usually screened out uh, at the first or the second level. That's why uh, what Zopa does is, is the first few stages of hiring are completely machine driven so that your long list is objective. You are giving much more opportunities to people who may be overlooked, um, you know, whether it is because of gender or background or qualifications. Qualifications is, is yet another uh, big topic as we would know, right? Exactly. Um, you know, IV school versus non-IV school, tier one mm -hmm. versus tier two. These are all biases. It doesn't guarantee that the person is going to be a good or a bad performer, right? So uh, really kind of using the machine, which does not have any emotions, is very objective, uh, takes it to a particular stage. And then let's face it, I mean, recruitment is a human human function. So we have to augment it at the right stage. But if you move the human to the, to the right, you know, towards the end of the process, you've really ensured a lot of objectivity in the process. And that's what Zopa stands for. So back to your question, what is my vision? Um, it, is, it is giving equal opportunities and equitable opportunities to people who get overlooked uh, and uh, you know, really kind of breaking that, uh, breaking that bias is, is, is like, like the purpose we get up for every morning. Uh, and you will see that passion in every single person in Zopa, in, uh, you know, in our team. Absolutely, and uh, that's that's really fantastic what you are putting together and completely aligned with the trends that we see uh, in in the industry and and the needs of the industry. So, in terms of uh, ideal customer profile, um, what are some of the the main geos that you are serving? Industries, sizes of companies. 
Sure. Um, so uh, there are three main sectors, uh, Mike. Uh, we've got yeah. the organizations. So this, this is, of course, the most obvious are the enterprises because hiring is yeah. a big problem there when it comes to numbers and biases and, you know, just, just nice. the numbers, the sheer scale. Uh, of course, mid-size and even some small ones because we do a lot of work with recruitment process outsourcing companies. Uh, so any company which wants, which is hiring regularly or where hiring is a very vital function. And in some industries, hiring is your, uh, your revenue is directly connected to hiring, right? Like this could be recruitment process outsourcing. It could be IT services company where your time to revenue gets impacted if you don't hire on time exactly. and don't hire. So time to hire, cost to hire, those companies uh, definitely. The other big sector that we are very, very bullish about is public sector and government. Um, we are uh, we are on the on the uh, accredited lane uh, of IMDA in Singapore. What that means is they do like a blanket a due diligence and open every hood of your of your platform and AI and algorithms, and they give like a verdict that uh, you know uh, they would. They, uh, so they do kind of a due diligence on behalf of the ministries and the government departments. So uh, we do a lot of work with government and. You know, it's very it's very heartening to see how Singapore government has uh, really um, embraced uh, Zopa's uh, algorithms towards removing bias and subjectivity. So we power the most important portal of Singapore, which is My Careers for, uh, Future, which is the national portal wow. uh, of hiring. So that's powered by Zopa. And then the third sector is education, uh, colleges. Um, we probably work with 80% of polytechnics in Singapore, uh, and most of them use Zopa, um, again, because, um, you know, our AI helps in not just matching for capability, but also for compatibility between organizations and interns. So internships, uh, admissions, scholarships, these are great use cases of Zopa's algorithms uh, for bias-free selections. I love it. What? Yeah, I think mm -hmm. I think one of the things that the, our audience will probably also want to know is, you know, you you have presence in in many other countries, you know, aside from Singapore. So how how do you, how does uh, Zopa actually expand so fast so rapidly, you know, as a SaaS company? I know technology is scalable, yes, but when it comes to business, market, and so on, you know, what is the X factor that contributed to your rapid expansion? It's a great question, Andrew. And uh, I think the first big impetus, uh, like you yourself said, that it's a SaaS platform, right? It's cloud-based. Um, that makes it extremely scalable. Uh, so being on cloud uh, itself cuts down a lot of barriers to entry into new markets. Uh, for example, you don't have to have project teams on site. You don't have to have uh, engineers going and implementing uh, on-site software because it's all controlled from the control center. So that is one big, uh, one big barrier taken care of. Um, in terms of selecting, so at the moment we would do a lot of work within Asia Pac beyond Singapore. Uh, we do work in Indonesia. We do. We've started to do work in Philippines. We're looking at Australia, New Zealand. Uh, India is is a very big market for us. We started India a year back, and we are already kind of scaling massively. 
Um, <clears throat> the reason why we chose India, of course, is because one, uh, you know, I understand that market. Uh, I come from India. Um, and we also have our engineering team partly based out in India. So uh, it just, and, and of course, nobody can deny the consumption capability of India. So that, that was the other reason why we chose India. Uh, United Arab uh, Emirates was a very, very interesting expansion. Um, we were actually invited. So we, we, got, we got named as uh, AI automation innovator uh, by IDC um, in 2019. And uh, on back of that, uh, the uh, the private office of Sheikh Al Maktoum, uh, they got in touch with us and they said they'd love to see the technology uh, come into an AI in hiring, come into the UAE market uh, because there's so much of scope there. Again, so that was a big anchor there where we decided that we that is a market we should focus on. And United Kingdom, this is my second home. Um, and I, I, I have lived here for more than 15 years. So there was again that affinity, but that was not the reason why we came here. Uh, the, just the whole topic around bias-free hiring um, you know, diversity and inclusion uh, is very topical in, in the UK. And uh, most companies are really gearing towards the DNI and and, and, and bias-free hiring. So there's a huge potential for us here as well. Uh, I can already see two other markets that we are going to scale to from here. One, definitely the US. Um, again, bias-free hiring is a big topic there. So we see that is a big entry point for us and Canada. So, um, so I already see that happening towards the second half of this year. So, so to your question, uh, cloud helps, SaaS helps. Um, barrier to entry is much lower when you have a cloud SaaS-based platform. But of course, you need to have some anchor and some kind of a, uh, rather than just going very cold uh, into a new market. So we also have a very strong partner network. We have a partner team constantly looking at partnerships. Um, so we, we go for a, a new market either based on a partner anchor or a client anchor, or just a very strong reason why we should look at that market, you know? So uh, so here in the UK, we are already five people, five very senior folks out here uh, and looking at US in the second half. Got it. That's amazing. And um, let's let's cover the, the, the importance of uh, expansion and some of your yeah. experience in the expansion chapter uh, now. So maybe first, uh, why Singapore to start up uh, Zopa, right? Um, oh my God, so many reasons, Mike. I can go <laughs> on and on. Um, one, uh, one, it is just such a, a startup-friendly country. You know, um, you know. I, I know that a lot of startups come from the U.S. Um, you know that that's supposed to be the mecca of startups, but I would say for, for me, Singapore has been amazing. The kind of support that you get from the ecosystem is just incredible. So uh, the government support, firstly, you know, you don't feel alone. Uh, you feel uh, you feel really backed. Um, when I started in 2017, and remember, as a, as a bootstrapped new startup. Although it's my second venture, there's always that little bit of fear, you know, uh, right. how are we going to scale, how are we going to grow? Um, but the kind of support you get from, from the government, from, from the uh, organizations, which are semi-government in India, in Singapore, is just incredible. So I would say that was my number one uh, big reason for Singapore. Secondly, Singapore is just so beautifully uh, located when it comes to the hub, right? It's a, it's a massive Asia Pacific hub. Um, and so you, you are able to uh, address 
Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, Hong Kong, Australia. So it's a great hub from that perspective. It's English speaking. So entry point is super easy, um, you know, so that was the other big reason. Um, it's very, very, uh, again, you know, the kind of grants you get from the government, the kind of financial, um, you know, whether it is loans or debts. And, and now the VC world uh, is, is becoming extremely, extremely hot in, 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 that, in that region. So, uh, I mean, I can go on and on about Singapore right. and how much Singapore has supported me. I mean, I couldn't have done this without if I was yeah. not in Singapore, really. And uh, definitely, as you describe it, I can see two patterns in, in your decision making uh, in order to pick up markets. Of course, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, first, it needs to be English-speaking mar markets, uh, and second, of course, uh, where there is an appreciation about the, this um, free bias um, recruitment uh, needs, right? Uh, because you have, even in, in the Southeast Asia region, you have uh, talked about uh, Malaysia and uh, Indonesia. Um, and and then you have, of course, uh, talking about Australia and New Zealand as another uh, app or an opportunity for expansion. And then, of course, in uh, the UK and, and the US and Canada. So that it's really a global uh, expansion, but all are English speaking uh, markets, right? Uh, but of course, we, we might should almost consider that um, some of these markets will be enough to create a very big player, right? So for instance, just being able to expand successfully into Indonesia, not to talk about India uh, then. So if you are successful doing that, you have a unicorn, a, an amazing company, a huge company, and you don't need to bother about the UK, the US or uh, Canada uh, at all. So. So tell, tell us a little bit more about why are you considering still um, India, uh, the UK, the US and Canada in your expansion strategy? Yeah, uh, multiple reasons. Uh, one, uh, we were very clear for the first two, three years that we, are, we need to crack Singapore. You know, we need to make sure there's a product market fit. Um, Singapore ticks a lot of boxes uh, as a universal global country. Uh, so, you know, one can very safely assume that if it is working in Singapore, there's a good chance of it working in most um, most most markets, you know. Um, uh, so uh, we, for the first two, three years, we, we just wanted to get the density. We wanted to get the name out there. We get the brand. So once we got Singapore right, uh, we had to kind of expand. Now, to your question, why? Well, for multiple reasons, right? Like at some point of time, uh, you know, VCs, I think, also want to see a global story. Um, so we don't want to stay Series A all our life, right? Like, you want to go up the ladder. <laughs> so so I think, one, of course, it has to be. Uh, secondly, um, like I said, because barrier to entry is kind of low because of the SaaS cloud, um, you need to do the A-B testing, right? Like, you know, you don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work. And mm -hmm. time, time also has an opportunity loss. Now, if I'm going to do it sequentially and I'll say, okay, let me first try India. Right. And then let, and if, if the India story doesn't work out, then I try UK. I'm already going to be 10 years down the line, right? So time is of the essence, um, right. scale is of the essence. So uh, we are kind of sowing our seeds. It, 
typically takes between six to eight months to see how that market is performing and whether it's going to be a core market for us. Um, and, and once we identify it's a core market, then we're going to then we go completely in to make sure that we are scaling within that market. You know, then there's going to be a lot of expansion within that market. So we've identified that with the UAE, we are very bullish. So not only are we there on our own, uh, but we also have a whole lot of partners out there. We have the partnership with the private office. We've got a massive distributor there who've got 250 resellers out there. So then we went completely, once we established the A-B testing, um, and same goes with India, you know, so we are doing our alpha beta testing. Um, if it shows the promise that we hope, then we're going to go all in uh, and, and scale within that market. But, you know, you need to kind of dip your toes a little bit to see what's working, what's not working. I, I don't think you can swim by standing on the side of the pool, a very cliched uh, saying, but it really means it does, does explain a lot of things. So you've got to dip in. See, but don't go all in so that you kind of drown, uh, but just do that alpha beta testing, see what the vibe you're getting, and then kind of play with play with that. So uh, that that's so we are we are on that A B testing with the UK, but I think we've already established that with India, we've established that with UAE and of course APAC markets for sure. That's a very good point, and I I would like to emphasize this for the community that are listening to us. Uh, really, it's really important to have a very ambitious uh, long-term vision. Uh, and then I, I really uh, like your approach about testing the waters in different markets and see how the market reacts and where the traction comes from before doubling down and really creating a prioritization list about what are the markets that we will allocate the most resources uh, at, at a certain point. Thank you. Because we really need to have those portfolio of markets, in this case, a portfolio of, uh, of geos, to understand what are the ones that are ready to scale up and what are the ones that we need to create the routes to be able to scale up later and start uh, the exactly. startup process first. Exactly. And as you say, it takes time. And in a journey that we want to, to do in a, in a decade, uh, we need to be quite aggressive in, exactly. in that approach without getting lost uh, in, in so many mar markets. So testing is different than executing, right? Uh, yes. Then putting the, the, the medal in the pedal and, uh, and, and scaling up. Uh, this is really uh, an interesting insight. And to see the attraction is, is really also what you said is interest from a partner or from clients on the ground. This shows that uh, it might be a market that we want to uh, double down into. The, the issue here is also from an um, uh, executive or leadership team point of view is how to manage so many uh, different uh, time zones. I, I also have this problem at, uh, at Scale Up Valley, so I'm always curious to, to learn uh, how are you able, or I know that you don't have yet uh, the problem with, uh, with the US, and of course, being based in the UK, it's plus eight into Singapore, um, minus uh, eight into the Pacific time, uh, minus five into, into New York. How do you see that evolving uh, in terms of your uh, headquarters to be able to manage your uh, global leadership team at, uh, at a certain time? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest here. Um, I, I rely very heavily on my leaders. Um, you know, uh, I've got extremely strong leadership team in Asia, for example. Um, so they take away my day-to-day -day pain, as, as you would say. But of course, 
I mean, of course, we got to do the basic things of getting up pretty early in the morning so that you can catch at least four to five hours of Asia. Um, but uh, but I think, again, the key is that uh, I hope I am taking a more helicopter view of the business um, and relying on my second line of leadership. Uh, and that needs to be super strong. Like, you know, they need to be stronger than me. Uh, and uh, so, we, we uh, you know, I definitely like to hire people who are better than me um, in more, more than one ways, and they are. So I think that is a big relief for me. So I can actually sit back and take a strategic view, put a distance between me and the business. Otherwise, we are all going to be doing the same thing, right? Like, you know, so I will be doing what they are doing, which doesn't make sense. So I need to do something different from what they are doing. So so yeah, execution is is taken care of. Uh, I, I take a more uh, more more strategic viewpoint on this, and uh, you know we work around the uh, the challenges. Yes, it's yeah. it's not been so bad so far, but you're right. But of course, you know I must say I don't know if it is good or bad, but uh, <laughs> whenever uh, I, I do travel to most of the hubs, um, right, and I have this problem or this kind of a good part where when I go into that market. I literally wear the hat of that. So when I go to Singapore, I become tone deaf to everything else. <laughs> <So> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just focused on the on the on the Singapore market. When I'm in the UK, I'm kind of being a bit more neutral. But yeah, um, but I don't know if it is good or bad. But but that's just me, you know. Um, yeah, I was just talking about it also because we are seeing the explosion of the importance of um, mental health at work. Also, it's a uh, a place where finally we are uh, removing some of the stigma uh, about yes. talking about the topic and we know that entrepreneurs uh, are much more um, the probability of an entrepreneur uh, have a, a mental health condition is yes. much higher than any oh, other yes. uh, person uh, given the pressure the roller coaster of emotions that we are um, that we live right and that's yes. that we yes. need to be resilient into Yes. And of course, the, the burnout is also um, a reality uh, yes. across entrepreneurs and being in different time zones is, is really, uh, it's, it's very demanding uh, from, from the CEO. And, but I, I, I like your point. It also forces us to be able to delegate and create a very strong team around us because we know from the beginning that we will not be able to be covering uh, the the US the UK and and Asia uh, yeah. at same at same time because uh, it, we would be, be as you said uh, waking up very early and uh, going to bed uh, very late and it would yeah. be impossible to have a proper rest uh, absolutely proper absolutely no no absolutely Mike I I am a huge advocate of sleep first of all so. Eight to nine hours. If I if I don't well sleep, wait, uh, uh, my cognition is going to be quite low. So no, no, and and it's it goes the same with our team as well. We have a very flexible working. Nobody's expecting people to kind of clock in and clock out, and you know, um, it's it's all very result oriented um, and and KPI oriented. So people know what they have to do. We we have, we have a lot of trust in our in our teams. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, performance speaks for itself, right? Like, so um, I guess this is probably the upside of remote working, uh, that you're not so focused on, on, on tasks, you become a bit more result-oriented and you focus more on outcomes. Um, so that's, that's the good part of, of working remote and, uh, you know, where you take a little bit of a distance and see, okay, what have I achieved rather than Okay, I'm working on task one, two, three, four, which which honestly is 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 very 
that's very stressful. <laughs> yeah. So, so you are actually now painting the future of work, right? It's now yes. the future of work. So, what what will be the future of work now after after this COVID when we move into endemic phase? Yes. Probably you have a comment on that. Yeah, sure. I mean, in a way, UK is already kind of living the endemic life. Uh, as you know, everything is open. There is uh, now even the legislation, you know, the, the law says you don't have to isolate if you are COVID positive. And so they're really living the endemic life. Um, my view is that we have learned a lot by, by COVID. Uh, there have been some good things and some not so good things. Uh, but the good part is I, I think some things will stay. One is uh, the hybrid working, you know, um, the companies will be a bit more flexible about, it used to be considered a perk to work from home earlier, right? Uh, whereas now it is going to be kind of very, very uh, understood. Um, I think companies will start adopting hybrid. Uh, companies who insist on five days in the office are going to probably face a lot of um, kind of, you know, um, attrition uh, because there's a choice people want to be kind of given the liberty to make a choice on how they should work. Uh, so flexibility, more result-oriented, uh, less breathing down the neck and task-oriented uh, outcome is what is going to come. I think the other big big workforce that is going to be created is the gig, gig force. So the gig workers, um, people are going to take, are taking a stock of their life and saying, I don't want to be uh, I just want to do things that I like. Uh, so it is going to give um, a more, more stronger impetus to gig economy, both for the, for the employee, but also for the employer, right? Like we hear about the great resignation. So uh, the employers are also going to start preferring that, okay, I'm going to balance my workforce between full-time uh, and gig work so that I'm not constantly trying to uh, combat with the resignations and the uh, and the constant churn. So there's going to be one section of the company which is going to be probably more reliant on gig working. So, so actually that brings to my next question. Because when you do all this remote working or hybrid working, uh, as we all know that in order for a company to push its objective, there must be alignment in terms of target, goal, culture, vision, mission. But with, with remote working, how do we get the remote workers to be very much aligned with where the company wants to go or where the management wants to go? I think this has become a problem. Right? That, that's where the pros and cons uh, argument comes in between remote working and going back to office to get everyone to be in the same place at the same time. Yeah. What's the comment? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good point, Andrew. But uh, you know, see, the thing is, I think, like you yourself said, uh, the company is people come to work for because there's a purpose, right? What gets you out of the bed is purpose, uh, 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 and and I think that articulation from top management down to to interns. Uh, should be very, very clear. What is the purpose of the company? Why are you working with, you know, why, why are you working here? Um, and more than ever, people are very driven by the whole purpose and the ethos of the company. Secondly, the values. And I think it's really important to kind of articulate and always um, walk your talk, 
uh, not just put the five values, yeah. you know, yeah. but you have to walk your talk. If you say, like for us, respect is the biggest value. And, you know, um, so so you have to walk your talk. Uh, so, so I think you have to identify what your values are and be able to articulate. So in every month's town hall meeting or every monthly meeting or quarterly town hall, you need to kind of talk about it and make sure that every new person who's joining in is, is in tune with, with, with all of that. Uh, so I think a lot goes on the communication, especially when you're working remote. One thing that kind of becomes, which falls between cracks is communication, right? Uh, because everybody's working. So I think you need to find that playbook uh, as a company, what works for you uh, on in terms of proper community. I can give you an example of how we do it. Um, so for example, uh, we have an online training platform that we use uh, to onboard every single newcomer who comes in, irrespective of what level, whether they are interns or whether they are senior management, they have to go through, I think it's almost 20 hours of training. Uh, they have to go through that online platform. Uh, the the advantage of that online platform is that you don't miss anything, right? Like we've, we've put in everything, right? From values to culture, to product training, to sales training, to client management, you know, all of that. So at least we get one unified voice across to every news. That's the first step. And then they spend time with every single leader. Um, my job is to make sure that the 12 people report, the 12 leaders who report to me, I'm constantly emphasizing and their job is to then constantly reinforce it with their teams and, and so on, you know. So no one person can do this, Andrew. It has to perpetuate, it has to go down, you know, everybody needs to take the responsibility. And that's where the value of ownership and being part of the, you know, feeling part of the team uh, is just so important where you where you take the initiative to make sure that okay, you know, I, I transport this this these values and these this culture down to my team, you know. Yeah. People will do what the leaders, they will, they will follow the leader, right? Like in, in a lot of ways, you know, they will emulate what, what, so I think it's every person's responsibility to make sure right down to interns, uh, this, this goes down the line. Yeah, that's a very interesting description of, uh, of how you do it in your company. Actually, I have a question that the skip, so after many, many, you know, off tangent, actually, I'm interested to know, what kind of leadership team that you hire? What would be the characteristic that you would hire into your leadership team? That, that would first be thing first, we are in a fortunate situation to have our own platform, right? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, yes, yes, yes. Yes, so we, we eat our own dog food. Uh, so uh, <laughs> all our hiring is compulsory done through the, through the platform. One, it of course gives us direct feedback, right? To improve improve things on our platform mm. um, directly, you know, direct from from us to the to the engineering team. But uh, uh, there are two things, of course, in every hiring: is what what can the person do, and how is the what and the how, right? And so uh, the skills, but also the attitude and uh, the, the the you know the. Uh, your ethos as, a, as an individual. If your pers personal values are not aligned with company's values, 
uh, there's going to be a friction down the road and it's not going to last, right? It's going to be a short relationship. So I think it's really important to make sure that the person you're hiring firstly has the same values as the companies. Um, and then of course they should be able to the, do the job, right? In startup, we can't afford not to perform. My shareholders are going to be up in arms, you know? Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, so I think performance is just very, very key but also attitude and initiative and, and you know, that whole uh, mindset of being feeling, you know, taking that ownership is just so important. It's all, all great uh, points here. So we have so many topics to, to cover and such a short period of time. We would love to go on and on and on. That's, that's an amazing guest. Uh, thank you, Zina, again for, uh, for joining My us pleasure. today. But before going into the wrap-up questions, uh, those series of questions that we have created recently. Uh, yeah. So let's just cover quickly the fundraising insights. Sure. Uh, and also the fact that you are um, a women uh, CEO <laughs> and uh, that you have also be, being able to walk the talk with, with investors. So if you can share some insights on those two fronts, uh, that would be great for, for the ones who are listening to us. Sure, sure. So on the fundraise, um, well, uh, our journey was mostly bootstrapped initially, and then we had uh, friends and family. So the real rubber hit the road when we tried to do our Series A. So every stereotype that you've heard in the books is true. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, well, that's what you tell us that it will be different, that with you it was different. <laughs> no, it wasn't different. It was... Uh, but ultimately, I mean, it was a hard journey uh, also because we were quite demanding ourselves. Uh, I wanted to make sure that we have a diverse set of investors. So walk our diversity talk, um, you know, it's, uh, we were quite clear that it's no point having investors just from one market. It's not going to help us scale. Scaling is a big story for us and we do want to go global. So um, I think I, I must have probably spoken to more than 200 investors, uh, and this is not an exaggeration, um, wow. you know, so uh, either they didn't like us or we didn't like them. So uh, not not for any other reason, but maybe it was not in their ethos or this, uh, they did not believe in the story. Uh, but ultimately, I think uh, everything happens for a reason and for the best. And uh, I mean, the set of investors we've got, I couldn't have asked for better investors. Um, they were so aligned on the mission uh, of removing bias from hiring and, of course, scaling hiring for organizations for better outcomes for candidates and employers. Um, so we've got ICCP, uh, SBI Holdings from Philippines and Japan as our lead investor, Enterprise Singapore from, from, our, home, from our home ground and from Singapore government. Uh, we've got uh, Excel Next uh, of Taiwan. Uh, we've got uh, Alpha Impact Ventures from San, San Francisco. So here my story of US is also going to kind of now nurture down. Uh, we've got SASV, which are very strong in Australia and Singapore. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, so, so it's been a very diverse set of investors, uh, just extremely delighted to have them on board. Our board meetings are a pleasure with the kind of, uh, you know, everybody is very aligned to the values. Uh, so uh, yeah, and uh, so that was Series A. We are hoping to do our Series B uh, 
towards the second half of the year. Uh, we're going to start working on it uh, after summer, uh, so from September. I've realized uh, you need to give it so you're so just to manage everybody's expectations. Start six to eight months before. So so that was the other other big learning. You know, you need to also start nurturing relationships with investors. Um, it's not an overnight relationship. You know, you need to kind of uh, create relationships. Make sure that you're sending them uh, regular reports and updates on how you are scaling and how you're growing so that there is a belief in your story um, rather than just, you know, doing a, doing a cold approach and saying, you know, invest in me. So um, I, think, I think I've learned a lot from that exercise. Um, it, is, it is a full-time job. <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's like doing a proper sales um, and a proper business development. But... Uh, I've learned a lot. It's been an amazing, amazing exercise. Love it. That's that's really great insights that you have shared about uh, how to manage those relationships and never forgetting that uh, investors uh, become almost uh, co-founders. Uh, yes. And you, as with co-founders, you don't have the option uh, of uh, letting them go uh, easily, right? Yes. So you really need to be careful with the ones you marry with. <laughs> You're hundred percent right. Hundred percent right. Absolutely, it's it's very important to be aligned, especially as a founder, because you know you are so used to kind of um, having you know a set uh, plan for your future so you don't you want to make sure that everybody is on their journey together otherwise it's going to kind of uh, you know any yeah. deviations are necessarily going to be distractors um, so so yes it's really important whether it's good or bad um, you know I, I just want to share one thing for the for the yeah. viewers again here uh, one thing I love about the board that we have is uh, you know for every update, they say, yes, great. It's great to see the highlights because that continues to keep us the belief, but more important is, is to see the low lights, you know? Um, and uh, so we call it the low great. light. There's a full page of low lights just to make sure that we are not getting blindsided. And their approach to that is very, very collaborative. It's very, um, it's very helpful uh, that, you know, let's look at that. And so it's, I think it's really important to have the right uh, investors uh, who, who are going to work along with you. Um, this is a great point because there are boards uh, which the members are so busy that they hate to have bad news. So yes. Uh, yes. The, 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 the CEO and founder feels very lonely because he or she is not able to share the low lights and the issues that keep uh, them awake at night, which is, I think, a waste of energy and time not Absolutely. having a board that serves you having a board that you need to serve, uh, which should be exactly the opposite of what a great board should do. So if the investors are listening to this podcast, I invite you to be a better board member. And this also applies to me, uh, trying to serve instead of uh, asking from the entrepreneur as we are the boss of the, of the entrepreneur. Very good point and very well articulated, Mike. You're 100% right. Yes, yes. So today I'm a little bit sharp. Perfect. So we, we come to the to the segment of the quick uh, questions and, and quick answers. So if you would have the opportunity to have a coffee with yourself, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self at the beginning of, of your journey with Zopa? Um, I would say that, uh, you know, uh, focus on product as number one, um, which, you know, I think uh, the product goes a long way. Um, 
try to get your sales team as the next step. So first get the product to at least have the product market fit. So don't invest in a sales team uh, too early, um, you know, in your initial days. Um, the second big change I would have is I would start the fundraise much earlier uh, than I did this time around. Um, my expectation was uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a breeze. It's going to be a two-month process. That's not the case. It's a one-year process. So I would probably be much more planned um, when it comes to investors. And I would get investors much earlier in life. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, third, which I think we are already doing, is surround yourself with you know, the CEO's life, like you said, is quite lonely. You need to make sure that you have a good working working environment, like they say, like, like you know. So your work environment comes from your leadership team. Uh, so hire people who are, who are, who share the same vision, the same passion, so that they motivate you if you're having a bad day, you know. Uh, you can't have a good day every single day of your life. So, uh, so I think it's really important you have people who watching your back as well. And uh, CEOs can be vulnerable. And, uh, you know, I think if you have the right leadership team, um, uh, that vulnerability gets gets uh, overcome. And uh, as a team, you rise. So, um, yeah, I mean, the last point, of course, we're still doing it. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would do very differently, but I think I would just manage my expectation on the, on the fundraise a little bit more. Amazing, great, great points. What are you the most proud uh, out uh, from 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 your past from your path so far? The purpose, the purpose, absolutely. I mean, for me, uh, the personally, and I know that it is for my founder and for my leadership team. The purpose of what we are doing, which is to make sure we are, uh, you know, creating work workplace happiness by the right match, uh, removing bias. Uh, at every level, that is a is an. We are very proud of that purpose, and you know we've got a side uh, side organization uh, which takes the purpose a little more uh, forward. Um, it's called Empower. We are trying to help companies hire more people with neurodiversity, like people on the autism spectrum or ADHD and so on, uh, because that's a forgotten society as well. You know, there's a huge bias. Oh my God, talk about bias. Uh, so, um, so yes, working towards that, uh, I'm, I'm super proud of what our purpose is. That's, that's a really amazing. Congratulations. Worst advice ever received? What's the worst advice? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, um, I can't think of anything uh, really kind of uh, off my hat right now, but um, yeah, I'm so sorry. I should no have worries. prepared for this, Mike. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> this, this one is quite spontaneous. It's normal. If, if it doesn't pop up and, and, it, and the, the final... Yeah. It might come by the end, by the time we end the strong one. <laughs> and the final two are, are also quite simple. So favorite business book? Good to great. I love that book. Amazing. From Jim Collins. Uh, yes. fa any favorite movie or series? And it doesn't need to be business related, but that inspire you. Uh, oh, my God. Um, you know, I am a romantic at heart. I love my rom-coms. Um, you know, movies like Notebook. Uh, they're my ever favorite, um, you know, so uh, I, I, that's the only genre that kind of agrees with me, comedy or romantic, that's it. So anything in that genre is great. <laughs> <laughs>
I was we... expecting you to say Bollywood movies. <laughs> oh, I love Bollywood movies. I watched every single Bollywood movie. Non-violent. Yes, 100%. You're absolutely right, Andrew. <laughs> Amazing, Nina. Uh, Andrew, any final remarks or any final question before we go? Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm very, uh, enjoying the session very much with Nina, but unfortunately, we are running out of time. Exactly. I don't have... I don't have so much uh, time to ask more, but yeah, it's a good session today. Thank you. Fantastic. It's been such a pleasure. It's been, I really enjoyed our session and thank you again for having me and, uh, you know, wish you all the best. Thank you, Nina and, and Andrew. So, and to our community, as you see, we keep bringing you the best of the best and trying to have uh, honest conversations and really sharing what is behind the scenes. Uh, what are the, um, the, the successes and uh, the highlights and the lowlights, as Nina was saying uh, before. See you soon and keep scaling.